0: This is Candy. Hello,
1: I'm Sam. It's great to be with you.
0: It's great to um, be on our second week of Ecclesiastes. Um, We're having a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement about this book. Yeah. So, Sam, can you recap a little bit for us um, what you preached on in Ecclesiastes chapter two? Yeah, thanks, Candy.
1: It was a great weekend um, across church and and there's really, like you said, a sense of excitement about this book, I think, at the moment. people are It it feels very... um, What's the word? It feels very timeless and modern for a you know potentially three thousand year old bit of literature. Yes, you know? that's
0: right. Yeah. yeah, and I think I, f- I feel like it's affected people's moods during the week as well. I've heard lots of comment. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling very ecclesiastic. Yeah, yeah, interesting,
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, great book. Uh, what were we looking at? We were really focusing in on on uh, part of chapter two. Um, where the teacher sets themselves a quest to explore what's good to do um, in the few years that you've got and uh, tr- kind of tries everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular section of the book, he is experimenting with uh, enjoyment, with pleasure, um, trying all kinds of things uh, from you know uh, building stuff to uh, laughing to working hard, um, acquiring wealth, all kinds of different things the teacher tries. And, um, but uh, bumps into the same problem that he keeps bumping into in mm. Ecclesiastes, that he's going to die. And that therefore means that pursuing those things as kind of ultimate ends in themselves is, uh, the word there is meaningless. Um, I think that, yeah, and the idea we keep saying is it's just something that you can't grasp onto. it something that doesn't last. That's no, like
0: chasing the wind. Chasing
1: the wind. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you might be successful for a while, but... Um, at the end of the day um, you're going to end up dead just like the person who didn't do those things and what does it all matter
0: yeah Yeah. I think even just thinking chasing the wind it makes me think if I went out with a plastic bag and I try to grab all the wind like I can't one I can't do that number two yeah. my whole, my bag probably has a hole in it and yep. when I try to grab it it's just elusive yep. it will leave the bag it's not going to be permanent that's it so you, it's a bit um, yeah you can't chase the wind you can't win on that one
1: that's it that's it
0: yeah So at the extras, um, Mm. we tackle the questions that come in um, from the sermon and we've got um, a bumper full of questions. I've condensed some of these into um, some of the quite similar ones into sort of a few questions. But to start off with, um, we have a question about Bill Gates home now yeah, right. Bill Gates he has seven bedrooms but 24 bathrooms Wow do you think a sign of a successful person is that they poop more <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's a very serious it's been a question, lot a yeah. lot of
1: toilets when you're that busy and you're that <laughs> successful and uh, yeah but
0: you can get someone to clean all of them that's the thing I think you'd have to
1: otherwise you'd just be endlessly cleaning one toilet to the next yeah, but, that's uh, right. You Cycle through them yeah. during the month. Yeah. Anyway, I've got another. Um, I've got another toilet humor joke from Ecclesiastes. I don't know. if it, I just find it fascinating that the um, yeah. the ESV translates uh, chasing after the wind as striving after wind, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> just put your toilet humor hat on. I've
0: and... <laughs> never, I've never read that that particular way. You know what? now I can't unread no, it. Now so you can't thanks. unread it. Anyway, thanks carry very
1: on. much. Yeah, welcome to the extras, everyone. It's great to have you here this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We're all very mature here. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: let's talk. Let's talk about something of, of more substance.
0: Okay. So, in um, once someone's kind of got a specific um question about chapter two verses thirteen, so it talks about um, oh, we're not chapter two verses thirteen. I might have chapter, chapter, chapter one. Chapter one. Sorry, yeah. verses thirteen. So, um, it says under heaven. Is that a different? Does that mean something different to under the sun?
1: Yeah, I love that. This is a great question because people are reading your Bibles carefully and trying to understand what the different words and phrases mean. Um, And uh, often when we use the word heaven, we're thinking of a spiritual reality, you know, um, in heaven where God is. Um, But actually, often when the Old Testament uses that word, well, actually, in in Hebrew, that is. the the word heaven is the same word um, as sky for them. And so, for example, in Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Um, I don't think that's so much focusing on the eternal reality of heaven. I think it's actually saying he created the sky and the ground. Um, You know, the stuff you see, the blue stuff and the green stuff. He he made it. Um, And I think it's the same idea here in Ecclesiastes. I'm trying to work out what's good to do under the sky, uh, which I think is very similar uh, it, it is a slightly different turn of phrase, but I think it means the same as under the sun. It's what do you do under the sky mm. in, in this creation? You're here under the blue, the big blue thing. Yeah. What do I do? Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's helpful in getting Genesis sort of understanding of the yeah. heaven.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so in chapter two, the teacher does all sorts of experiments mm. and it says he kept his wisdom throughout this experiment. Yep. What does that mean that he kept his wisdom? Cause it, it seems like he's, he's doing all sorts of stuff. Does this mean he's wise all the time? So in chapter um, 2, verse 3, yep, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of thoughts here. Um, it's a tricky little phrase, um, and uh, one of the hard things I think about reading Hebrew um, kind of wisdom literature is there's lots of uh, little uh, turns of phrase and colloquialisms that, yeah. are, that are hard to capture um, exactly and sometimes as, you know, um, yeah so it's a challenge in reading it I think that the wisdom word here is is similar to the idea of thinking um, that is um, the teacher goes into this this stuff thinking about it so he's not just mindlessly going off and having pleasure he's he's, he's exploring enjoyment and then thinking about it um, yeah. and going what was that helpful did that improve my life did that is that something substantial he's he's considering as he goes rather than just you know um, gone with the wind kind of thing and um, So hopefully that other points of the Old Testament use wisdom. You know, Proverbs talks about wisdom being the fear of the Lord, um, and that's absolutely true. And and, and Ecclesiastes will talk about fearing the Lord in other parts of the book. But here, I think that's less of the idea, and it's more just I I went into this thing uh, thinking intentionally about it.
0: Yeah, with consideration.
1: Consideration. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he does all sorts of experiment. We've had a few questions come in about whether or not he's sinning in Mm. these experiments, because. Look at the concubine, um, so, you know, verse 8 of chapter 2. Yep. Okay, like, so does he, Is he, he seems to be sleeping with a whole bunch of different people. He's got lots of slaves and lots of wives. Okay, the question is, how does God not have a problem with this? Mm-hmm. And why is the teacher not, like, rebuked for this?
1: Yeah, great question, great question. Um, uh, like I said before, um, Hebrew wisdom literature is tricky Um, but it's also not quite as clear cut as I think that that, uh, question lays out Uh, for example it doesn't actually say he had lots of wives Um, Mm. I don't think anywhere it says that Um, it does say in verse 8 that he acquired men and women singers and a harem as well now it's great to be having your Bible open as you're listening to these extras, uh, episodes of The Extras because we want to deal carefully with the text. Now, in my Bible, Candy, I've got a little footnote next to harem. I don't know about your one. Mine has
0: concubines. I'm on ESV concubines, yeah. And it says the meaning of the Hebrew word is uncertain.
1: There you go. Okay, so um, now that there is a word for concubine and there is a word for harem, and this is not it. This is another word, and it's uncertain exactly what this one means. Okay. Yes. If they
0: knew what it meant back then, but we are not sure what it means Correct. It's a, now.
1: T- it's a turn of phrase, okay? It's a colloquialism. It's a different word. Like, you know, in, you read in Kings and uh, Chronicles, Solomon had 700 wives and 1,000 yeah, yeah. million concubines. There's a word for concubine there, and this it's not this one. Yeah. Uh, and so the question the translators are wrestling with is, what is verse 8 getting at? Now, the turn of phrase, I did a... Now, my Hebrew is not in any way, I'm no Jack Day, uh, but, uh, you know, my as I was digging into it, the phrase is... Um, I, he says, I acquired men and women singers and a, a chest or two or a breast or two. Um, <laughs> and then he says, the delights of a heart of man, uh, the, the delights of the heart of man. Now, so
0: a chest or two or a breast or two. So the chest could be breast. That's right. Potentially. So yep. it could be either be a breast or two yep. or a chest.
1: A chest a chest or two. Um, yep. Now, what's that talking about? And And what is that turn of phrase getting at now? I can see how a breast or two, you could imagine, ah, he's thinking about a harem, lots of women. But it's also possible that it could just be, I've, it could be a colloquialism to, I've had plenty of sex. doesn't necessarily imply with lots of different women, It just that I've had a breast or two, you know? Yeah. Like, I've, I've done that lots. Um Uh, It could just be the same woman or it could not have anything to do with breasts Um, and it could be a chest. And in in a funny way, the word chest here, as as I understand it, and again, I'm no Hebrew expert, but I I did dig into this one because I I knew someone would ask a question about it and uh, I wanted to be ready on it. Um, It it could also be chest in the other sense of like a, a precious place that something is stored. It doesn't necessarily mean a sexualized kind of thing, and that's the delight of the heart of man, um, Mm. which is back to that I got more treasure for myself, uh, which is something else that he's already said. Now, which one is it? Um, I'm not sure we have enough information to say one way or the other.
0: Yeah, and so the question is, does he sin? Well, not necessarily. Not
1: necessarily. And
0: also then, does he need to repent? Well, if he didn't sin, then... Not
1: necessarily, exactly. So it's hard to know. Now, it's interesting, the book doesn't... uh, see him as sinning and in fact at the end of the book it sees that his conclusion is fear God and keep his command. So I'm not sure that at this point that the teacher would go like, but I didn't and it's okay for me, like as if there's some yeah. double standard going on here. The other thing that's tricky in all of this is um, in the New Testament, Jesus gets very clear as to where sex belongs. Uh, one woman, one man, married relationship. That, that's the God's intended place for sex. but that's part of the ongoing revelation of, of the Bible. And not something that is um, clearly laid out in the Old Testament. Mm. In the Old Testament, there actually is instances of polygamy, uh, multiple wives, all kinds of sexual activity, never spoken of uh, positively, but described, um, but also not um, condemned There's either. no
0: direct no. commandment Correct. prohibiting it. Yeah. Correct.
1: Um, it's that Jesus gives us... Uh, now. It's there in the Genesis 1, this is how God made the world and gave, you know, one man, one woman, one flesh relationship.
0: And yeah. chapter 2, you see the one flesh. That's yeah.
1: right. That's exactly right. Um, but it's not a command in the Old Testament. And so the other side of the coin is, if it is talking about something sexualized here, ha- has the teacher necessarily sinned? That's tricky too. Yeah. So it's really, really hard. Um,
0: because and, David had multiple wives, absolutely. Yeah, um, but Solomon yeah. was condemned for it because his wives led, him, led astray. him astray. That's right. But David, there isn't. I don't think there's ever really a comment.
1: No, that's right. It just it just is what it is. Yeah. Um, so it's a complex question, and I'm not sure we can answer it definitively um, because it is a turn of phrase. Now, this I also want to just uh, just reassure you, this kind of stuff is not all that common in the Bible, but there are little points, and and they're worth looking out for as you read your Bible, Mm. where the translators will acknowledge, hey, we're not certain on the translation of this phrase, and this is one of them. I don't think it makes a massive difference to the overall argument, because the overall argument of of Ecclesiastes 2 is, I've tried everything, and it doesn't satisfy. So I don't think it changes our understanding of what the teacher's experiment was, but it is a detail that we're interested in. I'm just not sure we have all the evidence we need to answer that detail. Mm.
0: Um, there's a question here about verse 1 and the word pleasure. How would you define pleasure? And in particular, this person's trying to ask. It seems like people, you know, get into a hole where fear of God is overcame with seeking pleasure.
1: Mm. Um,
0: so is pleasure negative?
1: Mm. You know,
0: how do we understand pleasure?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, pleasure is a, a, a word. It's a tricky word again for us in the in the modern age because pleasure in, um, inevitably conjures up sexual pleasure um, and and uh, that that kind of idea. I think the word here in Ecclesiastes is a little broader than that, and and you could potentially substitute enjoyment as the word that you use. Mm. And in fact, that's exactly the word that gets used uh, in chapter two, verse twenty five, where. The teacher says, um, without him, God, who can eat or find enjoyment or mm. pleasure? Um, so I think, how do you define, it's, it's anything enjoyable. Um, so I don't think, it, it, I think it's not positive or, it's certainly not negative here, because yeah. actually God is the giver of enjoyment. The problem that the teacher is is exploring is, can a pursuit of enjoyment give you something that lasts, something that will go on into eternity. And his answer is no; death gets in the way, mm. and therefore can't ultimately satisfy. Um, it is good while you are la- while you live, and we'll talk about this a yeah. little bit later to enjoy God's enjoyable world. But don't don't be fooled into thinking that that's where something of eternal substance lies.
0: Yeah, and I think um one of the good things um I, like one of the passages I can think of is. One Timothy four four where it says, For everything created by God is good, mm. and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Yeah. What is made holy by the word of God and prayer. So God has created good things for us to enjoy and Absolutely. it's not to be rejected. Yep. Um Yeah, in fact, you know, um, it, when in sort of Paul talking to Timothy about the rejection of marriage, um, it talks about as a teaching of demons. So
1: mm.
0: anyway. Helpful a bit of yeah, a bit of a side point. But yep. yeah, it's definitely not negative. No, no. In,
1: in fact, it's, it's quite, and we're going to get into this a little bit more this week that actually he's going to say in chapter two, um, verse 26, um, yeah, that, that actually, this is all the gift of God. Enjoyment yeah. is God's gift and you need to find it, but uh, don't chase it for gain to, yeah. for something eternally significant. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that relationship, um, with creation is, is so important to get right in a mm. sense because i could think sort of myself personally growing up from a buddhist heritage where like creation is something you should shed yourself off mm. because like you shouldn't be attached to this world because it's your attachment to creation and the things of this world yep. that creates your suffering so mm. there's a very different theology that yeah. leads you to a very different treatment it does of um things of creation like, yeah. yeah anyway so uh, on the passage he's doing all sorts of things to you know do experiments and things Mm. like that what is his motive like why is he doing all of this
1: um i think he tells us um chapter two verse three um you look at the second half of chapter two verse Mm. three he says i wanted to see what was worthwhile for people to do under heaven during the few days of their life so he's trying to work out what's the what's you got a little bit of time, not a long time, not an mm. eternal time. So what should you do with it? What's the good thing to do? Let, let's try some stuff and try and work this out. Yeah. That, that I think is his, um, yeah. Uh, he also says back in chapter 1 verse 13, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. I want to see. I'm going to try it all. Yeah. Because I want to see what's good to do. And he, at one level, he's doing a bit of a public service here, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I don't have the resources to do everything. Like, I'm very constrained. Um, I, can't try, I cannot amass all the things that he's managed to amass. But he's done it for me and learned the lessons on my behalf. And then he's, got, uh, he's willing to say, Sam, here's some wisdom for you. Here's what I discovered.
0: That's so helpful. So we've got a bunch of questions, which sort of takes a step back and look at the book as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, So this question is, why would people argue that Ecclesiastes is not Solomon's recorded words, but Solomon-like ideas? Doesn't that weaken the trustworthiness of it? And what about chapter 12, verse 10?
1: Okay, thank you. Great question. Um, why would people argue that? Um, I, I hold that view. I don't, I don't think this is Solomon. I know traditionally, traditionally, in fact, until I started preparing for this series, Candy, I thought it was Solomon. That's just what I'd always thought. Um, but a couple of reasons why you would suggest it's not Solomon. One, Solomon's name never appears. Um, and that's unusual. I think Proverbs, he names himself and says, oh, I Solomon, you know, um, it seems a bit odd that, that that Solomon is not named now. Why do people think it is Solomon? Well, because they talk about being um, chapter chapter one verse one, son of David. We think, well, that's got to be Solomon. But actually, son of David, I mean, that's a title. Jesus grabs that title at points. He's a yeah. son of David. Is it? That just means uh, of the the royal line of David, a, yeah. a, a messianic kind of you know descendant of, of David. Doesn't mean he's direct son. Um, Secondly, chapter 1, verse 16, the, the teacher says, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. Now, that's a fascinating little phrase. If there's Now, if it is Solomon, the only person who's ruled over Jerusalem before him is just his dad. <laughs> so all that is saying is, well, I'm better than one guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, Whereas actually, the way that that sentence is phrased seems to imply that a lot of people have ruled Jerusalem, mm. and this guy... Outstrips them all, so yeah. it seems to me to put a bit of distance between himself and um, and David and Solomon. Um, so I think that's another reason. Um, and uh, there's a few other things. There's also an argument which I think is, is fascinating to consider as well. Is that um, could it also be um, a, a large bit of kind of poetic device, like a, a literary device, to say, let's imagine where are the king of Israel, we're, we're a king like Solomon. Yeah. Um what would life be like? Um, I'm less convinced of that one um yeah. but that's that's another another thing that that often gets thrown around yeah. in, a, in a and exercise. I guess
0: maybe the question behind the question potentially is mm. how can we trust the Bible if we don't know yeah, who wrote this because the the other thing is we don't really know we're not Correct. was potentially a king
1: that's right we're not told i, I think if you um uh, even if you think it's Solomon, we're not told that. We're we're in, uh, implying that, but yeah. we're not told that. So either way, we don't know for certain who wrote this book of the Bible. Um, and the question is, well, how do we, how can we trust it? Well, actually, there are all parts of the Bible that we don't know who like who was the final compiler of um, uh, one and two Chronicles. Mm. Uh, who was the final compiler of? Um, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, people will say Moses wrote them, but there's an account of Moses' death yeah. um, in there. Now, I'm, I'm assuming Moses didn't write that bit. Just, <laughs> yeah. you know, like someone's got to have put that together. Does that make it less trustworthy? Because mm. it wasn't Moses and the person who we sort of traditionally ascribe it to. Yeah. And I think the, the, there's a two things to say with Old Testament texts. One, at the end of the day, like with all books of the Bible, that God's people hear God's voice in the Scripture and recognise it as such, and mm-hmm. that's that's what we call that the doctrine of the canon. What we know is is God's word. It's recogni. There's not some external arbiter that says, "Oh, this one is, and this one's not." Otherwise, that external arbiter would be the trustworthy thing, not not the text itself. Yeah. Um, so that's we're saying. This, but the the second thing is that Jesus is the one who came and actually affirmed the Old Testament as we have it. So Jesus received the Book of Ecclesiastes as scripture, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know often speaks of. Um, you know, uh, the law and the prophets and the wisdom writers and and, and affirms it as um, as God's word, as scripture. And mm-hmm. so I think given that Jesus, this was Jesus's Bible, this was part of it, um, so I think we can say, well, if Jesus is happy with it, I think I can be happy with it too. Yeah.
0: And so I think, um, Sam, you're probably referring specifically to Luke 24, verses um, 44 kind of onwards. So yeah, if the you're road clear. to Emmaus, yeah. that's worth looking at. Yeah. Yep. Feel free to have a read of that yep. if you'd like to chase that up. Yep. Now, the author concludes by the end that everything is meaningless. However, would he think there is life after death? What, so what is the kind of afterlife view hmm. of, of Ecclesiastes?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, uh, he He's questioning it, is one thing to say. Um, we're going to get to this in chapter three. Uh, he, he says in chapter 3, verse 21, who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth? I don't know, is what he says. Um, and that's actually consistent with Old Testament um, where, the, where God's revelation was up to at that point. They knew there was a judgment and he speaks pretty clearly of that, that we're going to face God's judgment. Um, chapter 3, verse um, 17. 17. 17. Yeah. God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked for there will be a time for every activity and a time for every deed. Um, So he knows that God will bring an ultimate judgment, but did he have a fully developed theology of the new creation and resurrection? Um, It appears not at this point of of revelation, sort of salvation history. Um, Those ideas start to come out in books like Ezekiel, um, books like Daniel, um, where the idea of the the sort of resurrection of the dead and and an eternal life um, come out a little bit more yeah
0: with Ezekiel you kind of get the valley of dry bones and then but even the valley of dry bones that's referring to the nation of Israel correct and so it's meant to be sort of seen as Israel Mm. itself resurrecting Mm. um, out of the exile and then the two tribes being formed into sorry the two north and south being formed into one again Mm. Um, and so you know even how clear is that idea of the resurrection Um, and so you've got in the old testament the idea of Sheol Mm. which is you know the place of the dead um, if anyone's more interested in sort of chasing further up on thinking about this idea of Sheol, a um, Moore College, they did a Moore College series of lectures on life after death. So I'm pretty mm. sure you can look up just Moore College um, lectures on that. And the person who did that is one of the Old Testament lecturers, who I can't remember now, who's from Northern Ireland, I think, anyway. Or okay. maybe not. Paul, so, Paul just, Yeah, Paul Williamson. Yes, look go. that up, Paul Williamson. Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. So who is the teacher teaching? What's his. So thinking about the whole Mm, book, what's his intended audience? Um,
1: Yeah, um, the word behind teacher is a a funny little word. Um, Raj has mentioned it a few times um, in his sermons. Um, It's the Hebrew kind of word kohelet, Mm. um, which. Uh, and it's interesting our title of the book Ecclesiastes is the Greek version of that yeah and if you know any basic Greek ecclesia is the word for gathering or church and so the 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 Ecclesiastes guy he's the guy the gatherer the one yeah. who gathers people together rounds them up if you like um, into a gathering so that he can address them um, so who's his audience it's most likely um, a, a local gathering of, of God's people, a synagogue, um, yeah, Israelites. Israelites gathered together to, to listen to someone who is a, a teacher of God's, of God's people, mm. a preacher, a teacher, a gatherer of, of people that he can speak wisdom to them. Mm. Yeah.
0: We're going to move now to this um, section of the questions from you guys that are on the living out of this passage. So, okay. more kind of the implication. Yep. So, what about travel as a category of pleasure? Now, I'm not sure what this question means. Like, what about this as a category mm. of pleasure? I think it most definitely is a category of enjoyment. Yeah. Travel. yeah.
1: Yep. Um, I, I mean, I wonder if Raj was putting up, uh, I think, like seven or eight, nine categories on his slides yeah. on Sunday. Um, And I think he even added one, you know. um, He said social media might be a category of of pleasure. Um, Just interestingly, he's like, can I add one? And I, I, uh, you know, gently looked at chapter 12, verse 10, you know, my son, don't add anything to to these words. (laughs) But no, I don't think that's what it's getting at. Um, And could could we add travel to the list? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you could add to this list. Um, And, uh, yeah, things that we sort of turn to as if we're going to find some sense of something lasting, something significant, something... Yeah. yeah um travels i mean in our culture
0: is massive that's a It's a massive huge. thing
1: yeah and and really at one level anything any of god's good gifts you can turn into an idol thinking that this this will be the thing that that, that satisfies me right yeah. um yeah.
0: yeah and travel is just one of those things you can also spend a lot of money on and mm. um i remember just sort of doing university ministry in new zealand and um i remember sort of sitting with a massive group of students and the conversation was all about where they were going to go, mm. you know, yeah, after right. uni in terms of taking like time to take a gap year or whatever. Yeah. And I remember sort of sitting there and going, I don't really particularly want to travel. Mm. And people gave me the weirdest look of like, why would you say yeah. that, um, cause yep. that's not right or normal. Yeah. Um,
1: if it's a very um, very middle class Australian thing to, to value I think like yeah. I find it fascinating as I get together with my like none of my cousins and aunties and uncles are, yeah, are in the in the Lord um, go to Christmas time like the whole conversation is where have you travelled this year yeah. and where are you travelling next year and, and like for us, like we do holidays at my mum's place, you know, <laughs> up on the Central Coast, beautiful, we love it up there, don't get me wrong, but uh, we are not, mind you I'm about to go on long service sleep and I am gonna travel, but just a little bit further up the coast. Yeah. Um, but we don't travel and uh, it's, it makes it really hard. So they're like, well, you know, they've been to New York and we've been to what Paris. What are you doing with been, your life? What are you doing with your life? Yeah. And I want to get out of Ecclesiastes and I go, aha. But um, Let's yeah, anyway. zoom out for a second. <laughs> that's right. What yeah, does this right. all amount to? You that's know? right. It's all fleeting because at the end of the day, you take your big trip to Italy and you come back and sure, it was great and you can enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Um, but is it going to give you the, the sense of permanence and significance that you're hoping that it will? I, yeah. I don't think so. Yeah.
0: And I think that's the thing, Ecclesiastes is not against travelling. It's, it's not against saying it. no. it's saying, Hey, like God created good things to be enjoyed but you know, in sort of the New Testament they say they do need to be consecrated by word and prayer. Sure. So in what sense is it a consecration to the Lord? Yeah. Um, this particular thing. Yep. Uh so there's a few people that kind of have gathered up what you've said, Sam, about, mm. you know, especially you mentioned the William Blake um poetry uh, yes. which some of you guys don't worry if sam, you're in the
1: other congregations oh you'll get it this week so oh okay <laughs> all right well maybe
0: i'm a big spoiler but no no it's fine um so sam you talked about kind of not clinging on to um things too hard yeah. you know just appreciating things as they are yeah. so you know someone had said people's um people say this is life; just accept it and live one day at a time do you agree or is there more than that
1: um I think broadly, yes, I think that is part of the message of Ecclesiastes. Accept that you're a creature, accept your creatureliness that God has made you and has set the set your time and your days and you will have as long as your Creator gives you and there will be good things from His hand and there will be hard things from His hand. Um, take them as they come and enjoy the good bits. That That is part of the message of Ecclesiastes. Mm. I don't think that's the end of the message of Ecclesiastes, but I think that that's part of it is learning how to live as a creature. Um yeah. And recognize that you are not sovereign over your life. You do not control it. You cannot bend it to your will. You are a creature, and uh, God gives you good things and appreciate them as they come. Mm. Um, but do not do not buy into the lie that says you are in charge.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, I just want to press into that a little bit. Um, mm. so Sam, I think what you've said is such a helpful and and. Anecdote, antidote. 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 Antidote to those of us who want to grab life by both hands yeah. and just sort of choke, like just grab the most we can and I yeah. quite like, say, aspirational, achievement-orientated, yeah. wanting to be in control. Yeah. But then what about the opposite side of it? What if, What is it about what you've just said? That doesn't make me just go, let's just choose the path of least resistance, mm. you know? Why don't I just, you know, do my work, but then go for the surf and, yeah. like... Yeah. I guess maybe this is going to a bit of the New Testament ethic, but how does serving the Lord fit yeah. into it? Like, I just, I want to. How can accepting equanimity not mm. just become, you know, lays back, and on the couch and yeah, yeah, yeah. Netflix away?
1: Great, uh, great question. Um, yeah, I mean, the answer is coming this weekend. Okay. Um, and uh, part of it is what the teacher is looking for is something that's not in vain. He's looking for something that lasts, something that will make a. a, a a, a actual tangible lasting difference to stuff to, to the world mm-hmm. and everything he tries whether it is being a fool and wasting all his time just watching Netflix and you know going, scrolling eye. through Instagram um, just being a, being a fool um, or being really wise and becoming a bit of a guru um, I've tried that or, or trying to achieve or whatever and none of it is, is anything more? It's all vain at the end of the day. It all passes away, mm. and what that leaves us on is this: this hunt for something that is not in vain. Is there going to be something? Yeah. Um, and the problem, the thing that makes everything vain, is death. Death just wrecks it all. You try this, and then you die. Yeah. <laughs> it's in vain. The,
0: yeah, kind of. What's the point? Yeah.
1: yeah. So t- for that answer to be answered, and this is a little sneak peek of Sunday, is you need you need the you need the death problem removed. Yeah. And when the death problem can be removed, then you might find something that's not in vain. And that's what we're going to find on Sunday. But I'm not going to say more than that because otherwise they won't come on Sunday. I need them. I need them to come. Uh-huh. Um,
0: another question, uh, maybe this one quick. Do I just chuck my job? Because how can I keep going if it's so pointless?
1: Great question. Um, maybe, but maybe not. Um, we're talking work this week. Come along. Come along okay. on church on Sunday. Um, yeah, you're, if you're feeling, if you're asking that kind of question. You're you're feeling the pain that the teacher is feeling and you, mm. you want, you're looking, I need something that's not in vain. This all just seems so so futile and fleeting and uh, work, 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 and then it's, oh, I'm gone and it's gone and we need the answer that, that um, Jesus is going to give us this mm. week.
0: Um, is it not worth pursuing wisdom? Because as it says in 2.16, the wise and the fool, they both die. Hmm.
1: Um, it does, it certainly says that. Um but he also says in 2.14, well, at least the wise man has eyes in his head while the fool walks around in darkness. So mm. while you're alive, better to be a wise person than a fool. Yeah. Um, and uh, Proverbs will tell you why. Um, yeah, you'll you make all kinds of mistakes as a fool. Uh, but from an ultimate, zoom out far enough. Yeah, they're both going to die and both going to be buried and no mm. one's going to remember either of them.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great corrective to say what does, what is the, like, what does wisdom actually get you which is yes it gets you great things yeah. but it doesn't solve the problem of death doesn't solve and when the problem we of kind of think hey if I'm wise enough I just make all the right choices in yep. life I'm not going to suffer I'm not going to have sickness and all this coming you're to me still gonna die. Yeah, so that's a really good corrective yeah. um, there's kind of a bit of a question that's not as linked um, yeah. to what we've uh, talked about and can I just encourage if you're someone who's asked this question would love to chat mm. um, we've, we've had a similar question in the last um, podcast kind of A little bit different but quite similar Mm. but this question is is it okay if I'm attracted to the same gender Mm. Um, so you might be asking this question and this is a real struggle and wrestle for you that you might not feel you can talk to anyone about Um, just Mm. say that Sam and I would love to talk to you or if it's anyone you feel safe talking to, um, in support feel free to do that as well. Mm. But how would how would you answer that question, Sam? Yeah,
1: thank, I, I just appreciate the person having the courage to ask the question. Mm. Thanks, great. Mm. Um, I want to open up a, a conversation if, if somebody's open to, to talking um, further. But for what you can say in a podcast, and there is only a, so much you can say in this kind of context. Um, uh, the there's a I'd want to understand the question a little bit more. Um, is it okay if I'm attracted to someone of the same gender? Um, uh, what, what I think I would want to say is, um, that, that is certainly, um, uh, something that happens and is not uncommon, um, Mm. for, for people to, to have questions about who they are attracted to and, uh, Find themselves attracted to someone of the the same gender, the same sex, and um, so I'd want to say, do, don't feel like you're the only person who would have ever had that yeah. that question and that that, that um, concern, that that, that query, um, and uh, it's it's good. It's not a it's not a bad thing to ask this question. No. Be the first thing that I'd want to say yeah. um, is it okay to. Um, does that mean, should, like, so the question is, is it okay? Should we affirm this and say, this is great and fantastic and normal, and we want you to go forth and act on your inclination? Um, I think I'd say, from a Christian point of view, um, the Bible is quite, quite clear, I think, on um, that, f- particularly for sexual expression, that the place for that is, is actually within marriage. Mm-hmm. And marriage is God's design of a man and a woman, one man, one woman entered into for life. That, that is the place for sexual expression. Um, that being said, um, all of us have sexual desires, don't mm. we? Uh, we are we are sexual creatures. God has given us our sexual desires, but like so much of life in this world, our own desires are not immune from um, the confusion that sin brings into mm. the world. And, and uh, I think that um, causes all of our so many of our, our desires to be set upon things that that um, yeah uh, um, yeah I guess to have disordered desires like our desires are just all over the place and uh, so uh, should we expect anything different no sin is in the world and and all of us are going to have disordered desires and from that perspective it's completely understandable that that, um, some of us have uh, some of us feel this way Mm. so but that's different to saying well that's a good thing and I'm going to go there for and act on it a little bit like I have all kinds of desires to be greedy Um, yeah I'm just a really greedy person I'm very materialistic and I want to be you know, do you know what I mean I want to be comfortable and rich and uh, but that's a disordered desire to, to love uh, stuff is, is, is actually not okay and I should have to go yep yeah, Sam you have that desire but actually God's word calls you to be content and calls you to be generous and so I'm not going to act on that desire even though it's pretty deeply held and very much brought into me by my my upbringing my family my culture uh, but I want to recognize that desire and stand it yeah and i
0: think that's kind of separating also what temptation is Mm. and what sin is yeah because temptation is not the same as sin so when we think of the lord's prayer right jesus very clearly says forgive us our sins Mm. but then there's a separate one of lead us not into temptation yeah they're not the same thing they're
1: not the same thing um and so
0: just wanting to clarify that as well the
1: last thing i'd say candy before we wrap up if it's okay is um Sometimes when I make an, 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 an like an analogy like that about greed, people say, "Ah, oh, but sexual desires are really different." And I and I just I'd want to push into that because I think our culture would say, "No, our sexual desires are very much who we are wow. yeah. and a deep part of our identity." And therefore, to challenge or question our sexual desires is to challenge like our very identity. Whereas yeah. I just want to say, I'm not sure as a Christian we hold that view. Our identity actually is that I am a Christian. I belong to Jesus. That's where my identity is, and my my sexual desires are just another one of my desires. Yeah. Like they're not actually a key part of my identity. So I would want to just uh, talk to the question asker and just say, a um, big part of this is who who are you and who's your identity, and it's not your sexual desires.
0: Yeah. yeah. And that's quite difficult sometimes to grasp because it seems like everybody assumes that, right? Because mm. as soon as that is threatened, it's almost like we have to live maybe a subhuman life. Yeah, that's you know, right. If I don't get to express my yeah. sexual desire, then it's just forever repression and i'm just a repressed and sad person yeah whereas when we think of the most fully human person that has ever lived which is jesus yeah jesus never had sex yeah in his life that's right like yep um and he is the embodiment of like Mm,
1: perfect humanity yeah
0: yeah someone who is fulfilled
1: yeah Um, yeah. and and so so, you can be you can be perfectly and fully human and not have an active sex life yeah yeah, but our culture, wouldn't, our culture would say, no, it's fundamental to our identity. Yeah, like
0: if you're celibate, yeah. then oh, wow, like, yeah. what's wrong with you? Kind Whereas of. I would want
1: to say, actually, there's a much better identity on offer and it is as a child of God, belonging to Jesus. Mm. And that's, that's not just for, that's for all of us as Christians, that's our identity.
0: Mm. So to wrap up as well, I did mm. wanted to wrap up on Ecclesiastes. Mm. How do we talk about the things we've learned from Ecclesiastes with our non-Christian friends? Great Any question. thoughts or ideas?
1: Yeah. Um, I think you must. You should. you got to. Um, you were sharing with me before, Candy, you, you were aware of even three people yourself who've become Christians by just reading Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Uh, I can see the power of this book to, to bring people to know the Lord. So read it with them. There's there's a great first step. Say, hey, we're doing this cool book at my church. It's 3,000 years old. Do you want to read it with me? It's cool. Yeah. Um, try that. Um, but otherwise, ask some of the big questions that the teacher is asking. Um, what do you gain out of life? Well, if we're all going to die, what's this all about? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, see see what, that stim- what kind of discussion that yeah. stimulates. Um, yeah, asking... Um, you know what? What will I find if I give myself to this? What? What do you think I come up with? And when you zoom out to like four hundred years time, what? What's it all gonna matter? You know. Yeah. And
0: I think, um, yeah, I've actually also encouraged maybe even sending. Um, the live stream link. Mm. So I'm, I've sent the live stream link to my brother, like all the, nice. you know, Sam's your talk on afternoon church, because I thought he would just really enjoy it. So yeah, we had cool. to see how that conversation goes. But I think Ecclesiastes, it really taps into so much of how we deep, how so many of us, and I imagine actually every person, if they, you live long enough, you know, if, any, if you have ever faced you know, injustice, mm. you know, if you have ever faced the loss of a loved one, if mm. you have ever faced frustration from work, if you have ever wondered to yourself, what is the point of all of this, right? Ecclesiastes is a book that resonates with Total. that question. Yeah. It's saying, hey, you know what, like all of the things you're feeling and thinking, it's valid, you yeah. know, it validates the frustration of human existence under the mm. sun when there is death, when God does things and we can't fathom it and so I think it's a really great place to just bring in actually the problem is death Mm. actually the problem is that um, we we you know in kind of the biggest storyline of the bible that we have sinned and our work is cursed but also there are good things to enjoy in this life so how do you sort of reconcile all that that? and I think it's like just Ask your friends, your non-Christian family or friends how they're experiencing life mm. and just go, you know what? A lot of the stuff you talked about, it's also talked about in Ecclesiastes. Mm. You should read this book.
1: Mm. Yeah. Very helpful.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, listening to this episode of The Extras. Um, so what's happening this coming Sunday, Sam? Yeah,
1: so this week we are with the teacher, turning the corner to consider um, toil and labor and, and, and really the, the note of despair. Um I, I quote Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 17 uh, most times that I have to get up before 6.30 because it says so I hated life <laughs> because the work that is done under the sun is grievous to me um, so I, in fact I think I said that this morning um, about, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 kind of morning um, but this is the frustration he's like well I hate this because I'm doing this stuff that never ends why am I working and we're going to be thinking about work and, uh, and it's place in God's world uh, and we're going to be um, this week uh, getting to the difference that Jesus raised and all of that. Okay, looking forward to it.
0: Thanks, Sam.
1: Yeah, thanks, Candy.